have seen that in chapter one. We have seen that he was willing to suffer in order to make Christ known to this church that he had not visited and not seen in person. And he continues that theme in chapter two. And so I invite you to hear God's word. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." The main focus of this text and of Colossians as a whole is Jesus Christ. And he is identified in verse 3 or uh, verses 2 and 3 as God's mystery. In him are hidden or literally stored up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so God's desire for us is that we would treasure Christ supremely because in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are stored up for us to enjoy. God's desire is that we would know Christ personally and experientially, that we would come to an experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ that transforms our hearts and our lives. Now, when the Bible speaks about the mystery or a mystery, it's often talking about something that has been concealed in the past, but has now been revealed. And so in chapter one of Colossians, it seems that the emphasis is on the fact that God began with the people of Israel, and then it was revealed more and more that it was God's purpose was to include all the nations. And then here in chapter 2, we see that this mystery is ultimately Jesus Christ. That he is God's mystery. That in him, God has come in the flesh that we might be reconciled to God. So Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's fully God and fully human. He is the eternal God who at one point in history took on human flesh. He came into this world to rescue lost sinners, of which we all are part of that number. And he has come to reconcile us not only to God, but also to each other, because when sin entered the world, it not only separated us from God, but from one another. And so Jesus has come to restore what was lost as a result of sin. He's come to reconcile us to God and to each other. And he did this in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. So Jesus Christ is the focus of not only this text, but all of Colossians and all of the Bible. He is the main point of Scripture. He must be the centerpiece and focal point of our lives as well. Too often we might treat him as merely a peripheral thought or um, just like an infrequent 
exit on the outer belt of our lives. But Jesus must be the very centerpiece and focal point of our lives. He is to be the blazing center, the sun in the center of our solar system, around which all the other planets of our lives must revolve. If he's not in that place, everything disintegrates. It all goes to pieces. If we try to put something else in that center place where Jesus alone belongs, it destroys everything. And so all the other planets of our life, family and friends and work and shopping and the stock market and sports and sex and everything else, if they don't find their proper relationship to Jesus Christ in the center, they just all disintegrate and life flies apart. Jesus was never intended to be a mere occasional blip on the radar screen of our life. He is to be the cornerstone and the foundation of our lives. He must be at the center, and that is the center of this text and this letter to the Colossians and all of Scripture. This Jesus Christ who is revealed as God's mystery is all wise. In him are hidden or stored up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You can think about all the books in the world, all the knowledge in the world. In Jesus Christ are stored up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. His wisdom and knowledge makes the Library of Congress look like a little matchbox. Jesus is all wise. He knows perfectly the past, the present, and the future. You can think about the past. You can go back to creation or before creation. Jesus knows all about it because he was there. None of us were. He was there. He knows all about the past. He was there for all eternity with the Father and the Spirit. They took counsel together and they made a plan of salvation that would be put in place in the fullness of time. Jesus knows the past. He knows the present. He knows how everything works. He knows why everything works the way it does. He knows the future. You don't have to fear tomorrow or next week or next year because Jesus knows the future. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He knows what will happen and when and how. And so we can rest in him. This mystery, God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ, that is the ultimate goal, that we would know Jesus, that we would have knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden or stored up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as we look at this text, that's the ultimate goal, that we would know Jesus Christ, who is God's mystery. That raises a question. How do we get there from here? If that's the goal, that we would know Jesus, God's mystery, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, how do we get there? Well, there are intermediate goals that God has given and stated in this passage. And one of those goals 
is in verse 2 that you would, his readers and, and we would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. God intends that we would hold fast to the truth about God. Namely, who God is and how God is. But when the trials of life come, it is tempting to let go of that truth and say, I don't believe it anymore. It doesn't seem to fit with my experience. In Psalm 145, the psalmist tells us that the Lord is righteous in all his ways. And yet sometimes God's ways to us don't seem to make sense. They don't seem to fit with that truth. Even King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 recognized that all his works are right and his ways are just. But sometimes when we encounter trials and difficulties and the sufferings of this life, we're tempted to say, it doesn't seem to be working out that way. It doesn't seem like all God's ways are right. It doesn't seem like all his ways are just. It doesn't seem like he's righteous in all his ways. So this intermediate goal of reaching full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is can be jeopardized by the trials and sufferings that we experience in this life. And so we need others to come alongside of us. We need encouragement. And so God desires for us to have our hearts that are encouraged. That's what Paul wrote in the opening verses here. That I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that or so that their hearts may be encouraged. In other words, what he's saying is, I recognize that life is difficult. It is hard. And it is easy to become discouraged. And so I want you to know how I am agonizing on your behalf. So that you'll be encouraged. Now, how does that work? If someone's agonizing on behalf, or on behalf, that's supposed to be encouragement to us? Well, we need one another, but what we need most from one another is more of God. So Jonathan and David were close friends. Jonathan, the son of Saul, and David, God's chosen and anointed king, they were good friends, and yet Saul, Jonathan's father, was seeking to put David to death. He didn't want David to ascend to the throne. He didn't want to give up his throne and have David be in that place. And so he was pursuing David day after day, and David was hiding in the wilderness. And Jonathan, Saul's son, came to him. And in 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. That's what Paul was attempting to do for these believers in Colossae. He was attempting to strengthen their hand in God so that they would not be discouraged, so that they could hold fast and have full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is. Because we can read the Bible and we can see 
that God is righteous in all his ways, that all his works are right and just, and yet our experience sometimes bangs up against that and it doesn't feel like it fits with our experience. And so we need someone to come alongside of us and strengthen our hand in God. I have, in recent weeks, found lots of illustrations in the experience of fracturing my hip and consequent surgery and recuperation. And you might get tired of hearing about it, but this hip cost a lot of money. And I'm going to get all the illustrations out of it I can. (laughs) While I was lying there in the hospital thinking about how my life had been changed and might be changed in the future and not just the fact that I wasn't going to ride a bicycle for a while, but just how life is changed with something like that. I was tempted to be discouraged or even despair. And God brought many of you sovereignly, providentially, at just the right moment, in just the right way, to minister to me and to my family. While I was in surgery, I learned after the fact that someone had heard about my accident and that I was at the hospital and they happened to be down in that part of town and they stopped at a restaurant and brought a meal to my family in the waiting room. And I heard about that afterwards and I was so encouraged by that. We need people to come alongside of us to strengthen our hand in God so that we not lose this full assurance of understanding of who God is, that he's good all the time, that he's always working for our good, that we can trust him, that he's righteous in all of his ways. There's a person in the Bible who was known as Barnabas. That was a nickname that was given to him, and it means son of encouragement. We need lots of people who are a Barnabas in our lives. Recently, we've had a couple of experiences here that were just precious times of encouragement and affirmation. The elders a month or so ago had a meeting where we shared a meal together and we had an opportunity to affirm one another, to encourage one another. Because without that, We saw last week that ministry becomes difficult. There is suffering. There's a cost involved in ministry. And we can easily just give up. We can easily be led to despair, to think it's not worth it. But when God brings another brother or sister alongside to encourage us and to affirm us, it helps us to maintain that full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is. And then more recently, there was a a meal where the worship team gathered together and we had a similar opportunity to affirm and encourage one another. I can't tell you how precious that was, the, the things that people shared with one another and how encouraging that is when you are going through a life with ministry and you're challenged in different ways and you get that encouragement from someone else and it reminds you that God is who he says he is in scripture. And you can have that full assurance of understanding. 
This past week, Lee and I had the opportunity to visit with Dick Gale and to share the Lord's Supper with him as we've shared communion here today. And we were able to sing together Amazing Grace. And I can tell you, there were tears streaming down my face. But it was so encouraging to have that experience. And as you're facing perhaps the end of life, as you're facing an unknown future, to be able to have someone else come alongside of you and give encouragement, that your heart is encouraged, it enables you to hold fast to the full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is. So there's this ultimate goal arcing over this whole text that we would have knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus Christ, in whom are stored up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then an intermediate goal is that we experience full, under, full assurance of understanding, that we hold fast to what Scripture reveals about who God is and how God is. But the way to do that is that we need others to come alongside of us to encourage us. And so after worship, when people are staying after here in the sanctuary and they're talking and praying together, that is a precious, precious thing because people are having their hand strengthened in God in those moments. They're having this full assurance of understanding ratified in their hearts and in their spirits. So when you're tempted to doubt that God is good and working all things together for your good, it's so encouraging to have others whose hearts are knit to yours. May we be ever vigilant not to let anyone slip through the cracks and feel like they're unnoticed or unloved or forgotten. So while I was in the hospital, someone brought a meal to my family in the surgery waiting room the nights of my accident while I was waiting, not knowing when the surgery would be, two of our elders came late at night after an elders meeting, drove all the way down to Mount Carmel East and showed up in my room. What an encouragement. Just to see their faces, but then to have them share words of encouragement with me. And then after I got home, so many of you brought meals. We had steak that you can only get in places like a great steakhouse in Nebraska, it was delicious. <laughs> and lasagna and all sorts of wonderful meals that so many of you brought and gift cards and somebody brought a care package of snacks and different ones shared their experiences. Those of you who've gone through this experience of having hip replacement shared your experience and shared resources and Someone gave me rides to the men's group when I couldn't drive. And some people that I hadn't seen in a long time heard about my accident and came to visit me in the hospital and the brother and sister in Christ. And that was so encouraging. So we need one another to bring encouragement to our hearts because it's easy for us to despair, to let go of the truth of who God is and how God is, to not hold on to this full assurance of understanding. So God desires us to have our hearts be encouraged. And it is an encouraging thing when you know that 
one of God's servants, especially a suffering servant, is struggling on your behalf. And so the Apostle Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians in the end of chapter 1, and he talks about how he was suffering in ministry for their sake. And then in chapter 2, he says, I want you to know how I'm struggling, how hard I'm struggling. And it's the word from which we get the word agonize. He was agonizing on their behalf. And it's repeated in Colossians 4.12, the same phrase about agonizing in prayer. And it's helpful to remember that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He was likely chained to a Roman soldier, unable to get up and move around. And yet he was concerned about these believers in the city of Colossae whom he'd never met. Apparently, Epaphras, who Paul had helped influence in the faith, maybe led to the Lord and discipled, Epaphras apparently helped found, plant the church in Colossae. And so Paul had never met these people. And when you're suffering, when you're in the midst of trial, it's easy just to hunker down, to be self-absorbed and be complaining. I was saying this past week when Lee and I were meeting to plan our time of worship, I was saying, I don't want to be that way. But this experience of hip replacement has made me so self-absorbed. And it's caused me to be so, have this tendency to want to complain about things. And I don't want to be that way. And Paul was in prison and he wasn't that way. Instead, he was concerned about these believers in the city of Colossae. And he said, I want you to know about how I'm struggling so that you'll be encouraged. In other words, if you know that someone who's in the midst of a great trial is laboring and struggling on your behalf, it is encouraging for you. Not only that, but Jesus himself is laboring on our behalf. Hebrews 7.25 says that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. In Luke 22.32, after Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, Jesus goes on to say, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, go and strengthen your brothers. What a word and ministry of encouragement to Peter who denied Jesus three times to know that Jesus has been praying for him. And so it is with you and with me. God will use our laboring and our praying and our suffering on behalf of others to bring encouragement to them so that they will reach this full assurance of understanding and so that they will know God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are stored up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our hearts long for encouragement, but this encouragement comes through a certain means. And the means, God's ordained means to bring encouragement, is by being knit together in love. If you look In this text, you'll see that phrase that their hearts may be encouraged, verse 2, by being knit together in love. 
So the way that we reach encouragement is by being knit together in love. Without the encouragement that comes from others, that God brings to us from others, we're tempted to quit, we're tempted to give up, we're tempted to despair. We must be committed to loving and forgiving relationships if we're going to have the kind of encouragement God wants for us, if we're going to reach this full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is, and if we're going to know the mystery, God's mystery, which is Christ. So the ultimate goal is knowing God's mystery, which is Christ, but it begins way back here, being knit together in love. Spiritual growth is stunted when we neglect such relationships. Anyone who's been around the American church for any length of time has probably heard it said, we just weren't being, fill in the blank, fed, right? We just weren't being fed, so we're leaving. Which being translated most often means we got our feelings hurt, so we're out of here. But we want to give a little spiritual slant to it, so we're going to say we weren't being fed, because that sounds pretty spiritual. And what happens is that people leave, they disengage from relationships in the body of Christ, and then they're not getting the encouragement that God wants, and they lose their grip on this full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is, and before long, they're no longer walking with the Lord. Spiritual growth is stunted when we neglect this kind of loving and forgiving relationship where our hearts are knit together. Joints that are not knit together are useless and even painful. In Colossians 2.19, this same phrase, knit together, is used, and it's used about joints and ligaments. I speak about that whereof I know. Joints that are not knit together are useless and painful. When I had my accident on my bicycle, I fell, landed on my right side, a direct impact on my right hip, and I tried to get up and get back on my bike, and I couldn't stand. I got up partway, and it's like this, and I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on here, but something's not right. And I tried again to stand, and I just couldn't put any weight on my leg, and my foot was hanging up like this. It was like a rag doll, just loose. I couldn't feel my leg at all. It was disengaged. It had, the femoral head, the round ball at the top of the femur, had cracked, and it was no longer engaged with a socket. And it was useless. It couldn't support any weight. And not only that, it was painful. If we are not engaged with one another, if we're not knit together in love, we'll be useless and it will be painful to us and to others. And so God wants us to know the mystery which is Christ in whom are all the fullness and the riches and treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants us to have this full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is. And we get that by being encouraged, having our hearts encouraged. And that happens when we are knit together in love with the saints of God.
And I see this happening in this body. And I pray that it will happen more and more and more. I see it happening in small groups as you're affirming one another. And, and in one-on-one meetings and small group discipleship meetings, it's happening in a variety of ways. And know that that's what God desires for all of us because it's through being knit together in love that we're encouraged and thereby we can reach this full assurance of understanding of who God is and how God is. And then we come to know the mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the main point of this passage is not really the main point of my emphasis today. The emphasis today is that we need to be committed to loving and forgiving relationships with one another. And so that's my question for each of us. Will you give yourself to being knit together in love? Because if you will do that, God will use you to bring encouragement to one another and he'll bring, use others to bring encouragement to you. And through that encouragement, you'll be reminded of the truth of who God is and how God is and you will know ultimately the mystery of God, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May God make that true in each of our experience. Let's pray together. Lord, you have revealed to us Jesus Christ, who is your mystery, in whom are stored up for us to enjoy all the riches and treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you want us to attain and to reach full assurance of understanding of who you are and how you are. And that happens when our hearts are encouraged And that happens when we're knit together in love. So would you begin there? Would you knit our hearts together more and more in love so that we would be encouraged, so that we would have full assurance of understanding, so that we would know the mystery, which is Christ. Lord, allow us to know Christ in a transforming way, in a life-transforming and life-giving way, this day and every day. And may we carry that good news, that encouragement, to others as we are knit together in love. We pray it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.